Hello, I'm James Schofield, the writer of the stories in Season 2 of this podcast, Behind the Bottom Line. What do you really know about the people you work with? What I've learnt is that everybody has an unusual story to tell about themselves. These stories might be funny, sad, or frankly weird, and over the years I've turned these people and events into short stories for various magazines. In each episode of Behind the Bottom Line, I read you my original story, and afterwards I tell you something about its real-life background. Today's story is called Losing Face, and while you're listening, I want you to imagine what it would be like if you couldn't recognise your own face in the mirror. Losing Face I'm sitting in a Los Angeles courtroom and my husband, Oliver Prince, is about to be sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit. The police officer says he'll give me a moment to say goodbye. It's going to be a good moment. Oliver is my second husband. My first husband, Johnny, died in a car accident shortly after we'd sold our software company for close to a billion dollars. He was driving too fast, Our car hit a tree, and he broke his neck. I only hit my head on the side window. At first, the doctors thought there was no serious damage. It wasn't until I asked to see Johnny's body that it was clear something was wrong. I didn't recognise him. Later that day, Oliver, who was Johnny's personal assistant, came to the hospital and identified him. I didn't recognise Oliver either, but when he spoke I knew his voice, and that's when the doctors realised I had prosopagnosia, or face blindness. What is face blindness? Well, I can see your nose, your eyes, your mouth, but the information doesn't mean anything to me. I can't see much difference between faces, and I can't remember whether I've seen a particular face before. Even my own face in the mirror is a surprise to me. Can you imagine what that's like? Back then, I wanted to kill myself. At Johnny's funeral, I asked my own mother who she was. But Oliver was there for me. He never got mad if I didn't recognise him. Not even the time I thought he was an intruder at my house in Malibu and called the police. He helped me find other ways to identify people by their voice, of course, but also by the way they walked and moved, their clothes, the colour of their hair. Little by little, I learnt to manage. Of course, being very rich has advantages. The rich and famous are never expected to recognise ordinary people. But I'm not like that. I'm just a middle-aged woman, smiling anxiously at every face I see. Anyway, I spent a lot of time with Oliver. It helped that he was so charming. Every time he was near me, my heart beat faster, and when, one day, he said, Rose, will you marry me? I ignored the fact that he was fifteen years younger and said yes to him. I didn't mention that before, did I? Well, at first, it didn't matter. We travelled, gave parties, did crazy things. And he loved me, or so I thought, until we went to that New Year's Eve party.
I was in a stall in the ladies' room when two girls came in to freshen up their lipstick and talk. When they had gone, I came out of the stall, my face wet with tears, knowing that Oliver had had one affair after the other with younger women. I made a New Year's resolution as I repaired my makeup. I would say nothing, but I would get revenge. A private detective collected information for me about his girlfriends, so I could divorce him any time. But I wanted something more than that. One evening, I got my opportunity when we came home from the theatre and found the police waiting for us. Oliver Prince, we have to talk to you about the murder of Leah Weinstaub. I knew about Oliver and Leah's affair already. After she fell ten stories from her balcony onto the sidewalk, the Los Angeles police knew about it too, and they didn't believe her death was an accident. They took him to the station and told me to come in for questioning the next day. I was awake most of the night thinking of a plan, and when I got up, I made a few phone calls. That afternoon, during the questioning, I told the officer at the station that Oliver had been with me in the theatre at the time of Leah's death. Mrs. Prince, said the officer, can you identify the man you sat next to last night? He then showed me a set of ten photographs. Of course, I had no chance of knowing which one was Oliver. I began to explain about face blindness, but the officer interrupted me. A witness came forward this morning, a Mr. Jason Colt. He says that he was paid by your husband, Oliver Prince, to sit next to you in the theatre so that your husband could visit his mistress, Leah Weinstaub. In the dark, and with no talking, you thought that it was your husband next to you, but it was Mr. Colt. Then your husband returned to the theatre before the show ended to take you home. I'm afraid it really doesn't look good for him. So Oliver's case went to trial. The prosecutor told us that Leah had been pregnant and wanted Oliver to leave me. There had been a fight on the balcony, he said, and Oliver had pushed her off. Oliver admitted he'd seen Leah earlier that day and that he had shouted at her, but swore that he had been with me in the theatre the whole evening. He was sure she'd committed suicide. Leah said she'd kill herself if I didn't leave my wife. I didn't think she'd really do it. Then Jason Colt gave his evidence. He told the court he was an unemployed actor trying to get work in Hollywood. He explained that he'd needed a quick buck and hadn't seen any real harm in giving a man the chance to spend time with his lover. But when he'd found out that Oliver might have murdered the young woman, he went to the police, he said. It was a fantastic performance. He even cried. Two days later, the jury found Oliver guilty and the judge gave him a life sentence. Well, I had my goodbye moment with Oliver and yes, I enjoyed it. I have lots of new plans now. I'm going into business as an agent for young actors and I even have my first client, Jason Colt. With my money and contacts, I'll make sure he gets the Oscar he deserves. I wrote Losing Face in 2012 for Business Spotlight, and uh, I can 
still remember when the idea first came to me for this particular story. I was sitting in the waiting room of uh, my doctor uh, and there was a pile of useless magazines that are about three years out of date um, lying there. And I had stupidly forgotten to bring anything to read myself. So I picked up one of them and turned it to an article about this topic of prosopagnosia or face blindness. And this was the first time that I had heard of such a thing. And it struck me as an extraordinary disability to have, to not to be able to recognize a close friend, your husband, your wife, your partner, or even yourself when you saw them. And it was something that kind of haunted me, I suppose, partly because, uh, like most of us, I'm not necessarily uh, that good with names, though I work quite hard at trying to remember names. Um, but I'm pretty good at remembering uh, faces. Um, and for a lot of the work that I've been involved in over the years, this was important. And I tried to imagine not being able to do this so that everybody around you is constantly new. And the first thing that struck me is uh, you must be carrying a certain amount of fear uh, around with you all the time. Are these people who are approaching you, uh, are they friendly? Are they hostile? Will they be uh, mortally offended if I ignore them or I don't seem to recognize them? And this idea of constantly having to be anxious um, that the people that you are that are in front of you are maybe people that you know, apparently that you know quite well, but you don't seem to uh, recall them in any way, uh, uh, I found really, really interesting. So I did quite a, a bit of research and reading and um, looking up about uh, about face blindness. And um, it's a condition that uh, you can be born with, or as in the story with Rose, it's something that can happen if you have uh, an accident, if you get a bad bump on the head in the right place. And what is interesting is that the scientists have really no idea why it's not working, because when they put people into a CAT scan in order to see what happens to that part of the brain, um, when they, when people are shown faces, uh, who have face blindness, um, the, the, that section of the brain seems to light up in the same way that it lights up with somebody who does not suffer from face blindness. So why this data in the brain does not translate then into useful information, that the person can use to say, ah, yes, that's my wife, that's my son, that's my friend, that's my boss. They just don't know at the moment. It's really interesting also how people who have this condition adapt to it, um, how they look for hairstyles, for clothing, for the way people walk, for voices uh, in order to be able to recognize them. But that they can look at a face and just see... If, for the face to mean nothing is really mysterious. Or well, I thought so, at least, until uh, I took, tried a little experiment. Uh, and you can do this yourself. You just simply have to um, ask uh, a, f a friend to cut out faces of famous people and ask them then to turn those faces upside down. And it's remarkably difficult to recognize them. So you can look at a face of somebody famous like 
Barack Obama or or Tom Cruise or whoever, um, and you can recognize them straight away when they are held um, normally. But if they're if they're held upside down, if their head is upside down, it's actually really really difficult to recognize them. Now, of course, if you think about it with a word uh, or an object, it's not a problem. If somebody holds um, a, a lamp in front of you upside down, you don't start thinking, oh, what is that? I don't recognize it. You know straight away it's a lamp. But with faces, um, our, rec- our ability to recognize them depends very much upon them being the right way up. So you can have an extreme version, uh, like Oliver Sacks, when he apologized to his own reflection once because he didn't recognize it as himself. Um, but I think also you can have it uh, to a lesser degree. And I'm sure you probably all know particular people. And I have a couple of my family who, for example, find it very, very difficult to follow plots on films or television series. Uh, who's this person? Where's this person come from? Uh, is this the same person as the one who was in the previous scene? Um, simply because uh, if they are not wearing something distinctive that they recognize over a course of a film, um, then they don't always recognize them again. Uh, and so they get confused and get, get lost. And back flashes are a particular problem. So when I read the article, I immediately thought this would make a really great story. And I wanted to make my central protagonist, the person suffering from the face face blindness, initially appear to be a victim, but actually by using their particular disability, turn it to their advantage. And as we saw in the story, Rose is able to punish her husband for his bad behavior through using her apparent disability. However, one thing I would say is that for somebody who does suffer from face blindness, the stress and anxiety that they must go through every day, I think I would find it nearly unbearable. And I'm in complete awe of their courage and their ability uh, to go on day by day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Bottom Line. Many thanks to people who've written to me over the past couple of weeks saying what they think about the stories and a special thank you to Priscilla for that great quote from your father and his view of business. I started off thinking it would be about building things. I quickly realised it was about building people. Very, very wise words. Please subscribe to Behind the Bottom Line on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcast or whichever app you use to make sure you never miss an episode. And tell your friends, write an online review, or write to me directly at james.rupert.schofield at gmail.com to let me know what you think. Until the next episode of Behind the Bottom Line, this is James Schofield saying goodbye.